0: What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that.
1: It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good
0: team, but we're three and one somehow, and we got all the voters fooled thinking we're pretty good.
2: Jaborski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic
1: ability. Welcome to a week 15, yes, week 15 already, edition of the RotoWire College Football Podcast in Whalen, enjoyed, as always by RotoWire's head college football guru, John McKechnie. Uh, John, as you know, this is a LaRod Stevens Howling of College Football podcast. It's a mess right now. There's no other way to say it. Looking at the college football landscape, um, things have not slowed down in terms of COVID cancellations. We have uh, a high profile team in the Big Ten essentially appealing slash begging its way uh, into the <laughs> Big Ten title game next weekend. Ultimately, that was granted. Of course, I'm talking about the Ohio State Buckeyes. I, I was telling you off air, I don't like Ohio State. I went to Wisconsin. I've been you know, born and bred not to like Ohio State. They've been the team that has repeatedly just slammed the door shut on the Badgers mm-hmm. over the last few years. I have to say, though, I, I don't have a huge problem with Ohio State you know, like I said, trying to kind of trying to finesse its way into the Big Ten championship game, which which, of course, I think in, in its mind would solidify its standing as a playoff team. But as we'll get to, I, I don't know that that's necessarily a guarantee either. Um, but with that said, before we talk about that, what what is your overall take on uh, th- this whirlwind story over the last couple of days that has now resulted in Ohio State being granted eligibility?
2: You know, speaking of, of Messi, um, I, I want to bring up our, our sponsor for this week, that's wine chips. Uh, so when, when you're getting messy on, on some shish, uh, th- there's a new product that that was advertised to me on, on Instagram called wine chips, and is it, it is taglined, the chip designed specifically for wine, and like the picture is just like a bowl of ruffles next to w- next to wine in like Napa Valley. It's the most ridiculous thing ever, um, but you know, to the messiness uh, of the college football environment, we need an equally messy. Uh, wine advertiser and and therefore we have it in the form of wine chips,
1: yeah, you know what I saw your tweet about this, and I was kind of figured that we would maybe be touching on it on the podcast i i I mean I'm not a wine guy at all. I've probably drank less than like a liter of wine in my entire life good for you i've heard but I've heard a lot about you know pairing wine with like certain meats or certain you know kind of heartier foods never chips. I I can't imagine that a lot of people that are really into wine are also really into potato chips, (laughs) right? Like it's, it's such a bad, like, do you dip the chip in the wine?
2: That was my first thought. Right. Are these like particularly absorbent, uh, chips? Like I, it's, uh, I'm very perplexed by this and a college friend of mine, Tommy, you know, of course, uh, took a took a pot shot at me for for having wine chips be something that was a targeted ad for me on Instagram. So my ego is a little bit bruised, but um, you know, I, d- I thought it was important for the listeners to to be um, mm-hmm. you know aware of, of such a marvelously strange product such as
1: wine chips. So back to Ohio State. Yes. I, I want to start with the cancellation of the Michigan game this weekend. I, I think the common joke right away was, okay, Michigan was going to be like forty point dogs in that game. They probably just saved themselves some embarrassment. It'll be the first time, and I think it was like 1928 was the last time this game wasn't played. So obviously there are some historical consequences, but this wasn't going to be a competitive game uh, by all accounts. I, I don't think Ohio State was going to get tripped up by Michigan. Where where do you stand one on on that game being canceled? Is is there a chance that Michigan just you know kind of saw an opportunity to get out of the embarrassment and did it? And then two, um, you know, are, are you on my side or are you on the side of I think a lot of people around the country who are kind of frustrated because, you know, the way the Big Ten, you know, initially declared that football was dead and then all of a sudden it came back under very stringent, uh, albeit kind of arbitrary terms, yes. um, for, for the Big Ten to then kind of go back on those terms that it set not that long ago.
2: Yes. Okay. So I'll start with, with like the timeline, uh, like you mentioned. So, um, once the Ohio state, illinois game got got um nixed a couple weeks back it was like okay ohio state now it has the the pair of cancellations one more and they're theoretically eliminated and wouldn't you know it you know they got michigan coming up in in two weeks and michigan has had covid issues and you know boy wouldn't that be some everyone's like uh fixing their their tinfoil hats and boy wouldn't that be something if michigan still had some covid issues uh as of going into week 15 the week of their game against ohio state so it did feel inevitable as of like you know even like 10 days ago that that this game was somehow just doomed it was not going to happen so then of course it it becomes once it officially gets canceled on tuesday there's that push which is understandable and and you know if you're just sitting at your computer it's fun to think about um in, especially in the spirit of the Coastal Carolina BYU game from a week ago it's like the the charade is is up like people don't really buy that it's hard to change things on the fly as far as scheduling is concerned and especially when you have big programs so like a lot of people were clamoring for Ohio State and A&M to to square off at like the Liberty Bowl or, or just square off one way or the yeah. other. Um, there is nothing to be gained really for A&M in that one. I think that uh, on a neutral field, they'd probably be at least 10 point dogs to Ohio State. So as it stands, like A&M had had no and this is tangential, of course, but like A&M there was nothing really for them to do that, that would have gone well. It would have only benefited Ohio State, or at least that's what I think. Mm-hmm. And AM their best case right now is just the committee deciding that um, that Ohio State hasn't played enough games. And if Florida loses its second game uh, in the SEC championship game, then theoretically a um, and would be that, that number four team. So I think that's kind of where their head's at. I don't know if there was ever any serious discussion one way or the other on that game happening. Mm-hmm. But then when, when it comes down to um, the just general, how how are we supposed to feel about Ohio State? I see both sides of it, because from from where you're sitting, you know, in reality, if you gave everybody that, that really pays attention to college football truth serum and you asked them, like, who are the four best teams? Ohio State would be in there and it really doesn't matter how many games that they would have to play to prove that it's it seems pretty glaringly obvious. I know that they struggled a bit against, you know, what was a top 10 Indiana team at, at home. But they still won that game, and that was still a good Indiana team. So, I mean, I, I don't know how much more you, you want from them. It was, I think, if anything, it said more about Indiana and, and their ability to hang around in that game than mm-hmm. Ohio State necessarily. So I do think that at the end of the day, they are one of the four best teams. You can, on the other side, though, I think there is a bit of frustration that I could see from other members of the Big Ten, where you basically— are functioning is like the whole conference is just simping for Ohio state at this point. Like it, it, all it is, is just like, whatever it takes, bro, like whatever it takes to get you all where, where we need you to go because it, it seems like everyone like Ohio state's the queen bee and everyone else is the worker bees just like, you know, going to, to feed the queen and mm-hmm. the queen just hanging out. And it just, I don't know. I could see where it rubs other people the wrong way, but at the end of the day, You know, Ohio State is the cash cow and and they would be able to if they if they get into the playoff, that's more revenue for Ohio State and the conference as a whole. So what's good for the goose is what was good for the gander. But I, I think that there's also, you know, I saw a quote from from Kirk Ferentz yesterday and it was something along the lines of. Um, Let's see here. He said, you won't hear any complaints from me about the rule change allowing Ohio State to claim the East Division. He said Ohio State is the best team in the league. And I just thinking of Kirk Ferentz saying something that that's so positive towards something like a, a rule change that that favors Ohio State. I feel like he was hooked up to a car battery in the Big Ten like like <laughs> headquarters to to just like stay on message or something that does not feel like something that normal kirk ferentz would say so it's so weird from so many angles it's also extremely predictable that ohio state would get this preferential treatment it makes sense you can't you know in the spirit of everything where like every college football team should have like equal say within their conference or whatever the reality is like You know, Alabama keeps the lights on for Vanderbilt's football program to an extent. And Ohio State's, you know, their their football program helps keep the lights on at other spots as well. So it in the end, it's good for your conference to get a spot in the playoff. Ohio State clearly is the biggest program in the Big Ten that that has the best chance of getting there. If you're going to if you are pressing forward with that. Then, yeah, it, at the end of the day, it makes sense to to bend the knee a little bit to, to make sure that Ohio State has everything that that it could at its disposal to build a resume that would be to the the playoff committee's liking.
1: Right. There's obviously a lot at play and, and you touched on most of it, you know, as far as how it benefits the conference. Um, and I, I think it's you know tough to put yourself in the position that, that you referenced with Ferrance where you, you kind of have to come out and, and say some things that maybe deep down you don't want to say. Uh, but you ultimately know it is for the best. I I just think this year it, it is clear that Ohio State's the best team, and I, I know a lot of it because you know they haven't played a, a big game necessarily outside of Indiana, and then you could kind of quibble about how big of a game or or how impactful that even was. You know, no one else has really mounted much of a challenge, and I, I think that's kind of the the overarching thing for me, where it's like if if Wisconsin, even though they've had a ton of COVID issues. If they looked as great as they did against Illinois, uh, against, you know, Northwestern and Indiana and they were undefeated, I'm sure I would feel a lot differently. It's just it, it feels like the gap between Ohio State and the rest of the conference is even bigger this year than it would be in a normal year. And although they haven't necessarily had as many chances to prove it, it's pretty tough to to argue anything different.
2: I agree. I mean it, it's it it's not the perfect Ohio state team. I think you could maybe argue that they were better a year ago, but even still um, mm-hmm. as far as the, the overall big 10 landscape for, for this year, they are head and shoulders above everybody else to, to a pretty extreme degree. So I'm with you there, Ohio state, just they are what they are. And and I think that there's, there's always hand wringing one, one way or the other every single year about whatever precedent is being set by, by the playoff committee. And what I think we need to understand is the precedents don't mean, A damn to the to the playoff committee. And it it changes over the course of time. But, you know, I I understand the frustration of TCU and Baylor fans being like, where where was this, you know, back in 2014 when, uh, you know, you left us out because we had one less data point. Now you're going to let Ohio State in with like five fewer data points uh, than, than everyone else. I think you need to also just adjust your reality once again and, and, you know, check back in and be like, okay, this is a year that is unlike anything else. And there are widespread cancellations. There are never cancellations in a normal year for college football. So you need to kind of roll with the punches as far as what what what. what transpired this season and and the big 10 kind of, you know, made its own bed and and had to sleep in it in a way because they, they opted to start the season later than some of the other power five conferences, the sec, the ACC and the big 12. And they had it jam packed with eight weeks in a row with no wiggle room. It was bound to go off the rails in in Mm -hmm. some capacity. And it it was necessary to, to like take some recourse there and, and try to, try to write some previous wrongs that they should have seen but but nonetheless did not
1: at the end of the day the 6 game minimum was a completely arbitrary number and i yes. think the big 10 realized early on that 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 might be much more of an issue uh, than, than they thought it would be mm-hmm. i want to talk through the the college football playoff or at least the top of it at this point i i think it's basically narrowed down to 6 teams is that right like where where do you stand on on 8 and 2 iowa state which jumped all the way up from 13 to 7 in the latest rankings. And then, and then you still have, you know, eight, no Cincinnati, which not a great sign when you get jumped by a team that has two losses.
2: No, it, it's, it's really not. So that, that's a, that's a tough sign. And then Cincinnati this weekend, their game against Tulsa was canceled. So they were, that was already supposed to be kind of like the AAC championship preview, that game is going to, the championship itself will happen next week up in Cincinnati, I I believe. But um, nonetheless, that would have been another opportunity for Cincinnati to beat a ranked team like Tulsa. Tulsa obviously beat uh, Central Florida. They have some impressive wins that they've done well throughout the course of this year. So that would have helped. But yeah, it's really looking like Cincinnati has a lot, a lot, that needs to happen for them to, to really get garner serious consideration. And I don't consider, um, Iowa state to be a serious contender either. So it really does come down to those six Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson. We feel like those three are probably locks. Um, maybe it's a little bit different. Um, if Clemson is to lose that, that, um, the ACC championship game against Notre Dame, I don't think a lot of people expect that to happen. Maybe that's why everyone just kind of assumes that is a lock. And then if Ohio state takes care of business and is six and zero, with big 10 champion, they're in, I, I just, I don't really see a way where, where they're not in um, Florida. You know, they have a chance um, if they're the sec champion, maybe they, they get in over an undefeated Ohio state. I could definitely see that happening. I don't think AM really has a chance. It would take the committee, really holding Ohio State's resume against it in order to have A&M in there. And I just don't really see that happening at the end of the day. I don't think the committee wants to make very hard decisions. And it, it's pretty easy to make a decision when a team like Ohio State is undefeated and technically their conference champion. Like that, that just seems like, okay, over and done with. We don't need to debate this any further. We have our
1: four. It would be pretty hilarious for Ohio State to jump through all these hoops and then not get in. Uh, I will just put that out there. Oh, that would rule. <laughs> the team to me that that maybe shouldn't be quite as secure as people are talking about is Notre Dame. And, you know, they're 10 and 0. They've, they've played as many games as Clemson. Those are the only two teams other than Iowa state that we're talking about that have 10, 10 games on the schedule. So there, you know, that has to be factored in there's more opportunities, um, you know, to take a loss, even if you're favored in most of those games. So Notre Dame obviously beats Clemson without Trevor Lawrence. It's, it's in South Bend uh, two pretty major advantages what happens if Clemson, you know, beats Notre Dame by, I don't know, four touchdowns in in the ACC title game? Is is there a chance then that Texas A and M, who's only lost at this point, would be to a likely undefeated Alabama? You know, would would they would they not have the better loss uh, than than Notre Dame?
2: I guess that their their loss would be better uh, because Alabama is the is the undefeated team. But how much are you really did de- like? I, th- I think we can agree that that beating Clemson without Trevor Lawrence is different than um, than, than beating Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. Like it, no right. one is saying otherwise, but I still thought it was an impressive win nonetheless for Notre Dame. And I think oh, that yeah, their resume overall has has been impressive. That they've had like uh, some shaky looking in terms of like the overall final score games uh, against uh, Louisville um, and Florida State. Maybe not not their their finest showings, but I think as the season has progressed. I test really does favor Notre Dame and I know that's not like the number 1 criteria but they look like a, a one of the four best teams in, in college football so I just mm-hmm. don't really think that even if Cle- if Clemson with Trevor Lawrence comes out there against Notre Dame in the ACC title game I don't see that blowout scenario necessarily happening so as weird as it is to say I don't know mm-hmm. if Notre Dame's getting quite the respect it deserves. They're they're nasty on defense. They got a really experienced quarterback. Their run game is great. the The tight end core is absurd. Uh, Javon McKinley and, and Ben Skowernick are, are making plays on the outside. Mm. Uh, again, that offensive line is looking like a Notre Dame offensive line. So, like, I, I understand the concern, like the blowout concern, and what that might do to Notre Dame's resume. But I, I guess I would nip it in the bud in the sense that I just don't see Clemson completely housing notre dame i don't think that this this at all looks like what the 2018 playoff Mm -hmm. game uh looked like or anything so i I look for clemson to win that game but not so much that it really makes uh the committee consider a seven and one uh, texas a&m team who whose best win is over maybe potentially a a two loss florida at that point um and also a to play for the for its conference title game the way that Notre Dame did um, I think that would count against them uh, you know usually I think Alabama in 2017 and maybe one other example um, out there of a team not playing in its conference title game and still right. make the playoffs so
1: I think that's a pretty large part of the criteria as well and then the SEC version of this question is what if Florida beats Alabama it, the the common consensus is that Alabama's in no matter what they could lose that game a hundred to nothing and they're still in. Mm-hmm. But then at that point, you know, you have a, a Florida team with the best win maybe of any team in the country. And then you're comparing that to a potentially one loss Notre Dame, you know, maybe only a six and O Ohio state. I, I guess overall, I, I'm not trying to take anything away from Notre Dame or Ohio state. I'm just more surprised that there hasn't been like deeper discussion about, about a and Florida. It, it seems like everybody's mind is made up that, you know, as as long as nothing crazy happens in the next two weeks, we're we're going to get the four that we have right now.
2: yeah, and and it's it's reasonable to, to think that way because it it's it's hard to see the things taking place that that A or Florida would need in order to make them jump it. But A, Florida will at least get the opportunity to do mm-hmm. so. A will not. They can't really change the the minds yeah. of the committee. They can just kind of hope that there's chaos all around them. Florida, if they win the SEC, if they beat Alabama I think the committee the bid over Ohio State I, I think that we could see um with a with a one loss Notre Dame team probably in there as well I mean let's call it man there would be so there would be four one loss teams in, in the college football playoff which would be kind of wild but I guess if I were to seed it Alabama probably sticks it uh mm-hmm. Clemson moves up to 2 um florida might jump to three and notre dame drops to four would, would that make yeah. sense if, the, I think, if I that think that's scenario fair, yeah. played out yeah
1: i would rather see that i mean i think that's as great as i think ohio state is florida beating alabama in the sec title game would be that should you know, get them you know, a in. pretty big message sent
2: yeah I, I think that that should that would absolutely be something that to uh turn the tide and and at that point i think that you know, we're looking at an SEC champion that that played almost twice as many games as Ohio State, and and at that stage, I think that Florida would undoubtedly have the better case.
1: Real quickly, I want to touch on LSU. What is going on? This is a, a bizarre season, especially in light of how last season went, where they had virtually no bumps in the road, one of the more dominant start to finish seasons we've seen. Incredible amounts of talent. You know, a lot of that talent went to the NFL, but you know, enough is back that it shouldn't be this.
2: Right. And, and yeah, it's not like LSU ha- had never recruited before the, this past year. Um, that there's been just a lot of issues. And I read an article uh, from Brooks Cubena, uh, one of their top beat reporters down there on, on the LSU beat, um, just talking about how that this meeting. Um, with Coach Edo and and, um, and the players and the university president, this was, I think, in August. Um, it just did not go well. I, I don't know the specifics of it, but apparently the, the players did not care for Orgeron's message or, or way he handled that meeting. And then a couple days later is when Jamar Chase opted out, and that started a wave where now I think LSU has had 15 players either opt out at the beginning of the season or uh, or during the season, the transfer portal. Uh, we have a situation right now with Arik Gilbert and B. J. Ojulari, where you know two of the two of the best players from their 2020 recruiting class are already thinking about leaving the program, and, and Gilbert has already opted out for the rest of the season. I think that LSU has an uphill battle at keeping him. So we have the, this incredible recruiting class from a year ago, and we and we had the incredible season overall last year, and I think that COVID and everything that, that has come with it has made things very difficult for pretty much every program in, in the country and LSU, no exception to that. But I think that there's something a little, there's a little bit of a deeper rod here that, that goes beyond just the stuff that that everyone um, has has dealt with across the board with, with COVID and trying to, trying to manage um, your, your program that way. So yeah, it sounds like there's something up with, with coach O um, that there's the other story about, you know, the potential suppressing a, of some, yeah, I'm not going to say too much about it. You can look it up on USA Today. Uh, there is a pretty good article giving the full rundown of that uh, sometime in November. Um but yeah, I mean, for them to to come out and then finally after a week of just bad PR be like we're going to be we're going to do the big man thing. We're going to impose we're going to self-impose a bull ban. It's like, wow. Kudos to you LSU What just you know, I know there's a lot of chips on the table for you at this time, and and it's definitely not a super convenient way to slap yourself on the wrist to show your NCAA, show the NCAA that you're doing something about everything mm-hmm. that's going wrong in your program. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it takes a lot of guts to opt out of the
1: Shreveport bowl. Very good. It's just so incredibly transparent. You're like, do you, if you're the NCAA, are you? you're just gonna be like, oh, great. Awesome. Thanks guys. We, we're we not going to consider the context whatsoever. You know, like right. how do you sit down as a, you know, I assume you know, your athletic director is involved with this, the highest level decision makers in your football program are making this decision. And they came together and were like, yes, this will benefit us.
2: Yeah. It's like, yeah, th- this will be, this will be, this will take care of exactly what we needed to do to, to make things right. in the eyes of the NCAA, um, Definitely don't mind the fact that our season has gone in a completely disastrous route, and our program is seemingly eroding around us. Never mind any of that. Uh, we're 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 gonna be the bigger man, and uh, yeah, when it really hurts to to opt out of the bowl season, especially in 2020, we're we're gonna go ahead and make that. Yeah, so I, I hope the NCAA is like, okay, well, what else? Or, or something something more has to happen to LSU than, than just like deciding to. Right. Not have to play a bowl game. It didn't want to play at in this point
1: way. in the year. It's not like they did this before week one. You know, like if, if they had a if they had a hunch that maybe they knew they weren't going to be very good, and you do this before the season, I think it it ring you know it, it hits home a lot more than it does mm. right now.
2: Absolutely, that's a great point.
1: All right, let's look at week fourteen real quickly. Um, I don't want to talk about Wisconsin. They're terrible. That's they fine. didn't even score a touchdown. Uh, against Indiana last week. They were absolutely terrible against Northwestern. Uh, They're just not a very good team at all. And despite all that, they're somehow favored at Iowa. Um, But that's all we'll say about that. Mm. BYU, Coastal Carolina, you have in our our little document here, it was the best part of the college football season. I'm not going to disagree with you about that. I I think it was by far the most memorable game for college football fans.
2: it it was just like it was so cool and it had so many 2020 elements to it i mean like coming into into this year coastal was like a kind of up and coming Sunbelt team and, and BYU is like, okay, they're going to play this weird schedule. Uh, thank God that they're playing while, while all these other schools in, in the West are not. So at least this way, BYU can be our, our Saturday night team to watch. And it turns out that both these teams are awesome. Uh, you know, the Grayson McCall of Coastal Carolina just really takes off and, and the their jamie chadwell has these guys playing so well the surf turf is just booming uh the black swarm or whatever they call their defense is going nuts they, they're racking up all these important wins over teams like louisiana or app state and it's like okay these guys are these guys are legit not just sunbelt legit like these guys are pretty serious and then byu on the other hand you know like they got zach wilson kind of ca- like catching the nation by storm and and creating a, a Heisman campaign, and then they're, you know, they're talking all this yang about anytime, anywhere, and then they, they kind of had the the, bad, the hashtag bad visual um, by, by not agreeing to play against Washington. And then we're going into last week, and Liberty is supposed to be playing Coastal Carolina, and Liberty has been an interesting story in their own right. Regardless of how you feel about the university or Hugh Freeze, they've been really fun between the lines. And they had the COVID issue, so they had to end up nixing the game. So all of a sudden, we have BYU staring at an open date, and we have Coastal Carolina out of nowhere looking at an open date. And what happens? BYU loads up the buses and drives all their crap all the way from Provo to Myrtle Beach to play an undefeated Coastal team that, that was a hostile environment. And I think that that was just like in a year with so much bad stuff and and, you know, Terrible developments all across the board in pretty much any way that you can imagine it. One kind of cool thing that has happened now is teams can kind of get a little bit improvisational if there's an open date. Yes. And I, I hope that there there isn't a situation this time next year where this is necessary. But I love that it was able to be pulled together for this year, and especially on a weekend where there weren't all that many great games. That one kind of taking center stage and mm-hmm. living up to the hype along with it was just awesome.
1: So I, the nickname that I've seen for the Coastal defense is the Tropical Swarm, which is pretty damn good. I, I want to yes. throw out there, though, given the colors, the Teal Curtain. I mean, you have two, I think, excellent options here. Did you just come up with Teal Curtain? Uh, yes, but I, to be fair, I have used this to describe the Jags defense in 2017. Okay, so, well. But they, they have forfeited that nickname.
2: Yeah, we, we won't check the patents on that. So, um, I yeah, I'd say apply for that one on, on Coastal. That's that, that lines up perfectly. And, and uh, yeah, no, that I'm pretty
1: floored actually by that. Nicely done. (laughs) Thank you. Um, One more note on this. And, you know, you said, hopefully next year, we're not in a situation where teams are scrambling to schedule games. And and I agree with that. And certainly the guys, you know, the ADs, the men and women in charge of scheduling these games uh, definitely agree with that too, especially when you start to see games scheduled eight, nine advance. Although I want to pitch you on this week let's say week 13 of every season if you're a team that that expects to be like in the top 50 you you clear that out i'm not saying i'm not saying all like 130 teams have to keep it clear but you know if you're a relevant team you just say we're going to have like a universal buy week 13 the top 20 teams in the country go into a pool and you kind of play like a any you know anytime anywhere game or whatever whatever the term is so the number one team in the country gets to pick its opponent. And then you just go down the list until you have 10 matchups between the top 20 teams.
2: I mean, that sounds incredible. It it, it would like it would get the the juices flowing of an expanded playoff without actually having to expand the playoff. We would get awesome storylines like, um, of course, the coaches and everybody would be like, this is ridiculous.
1: But, yeah, right. But it's like 100 reasons it will never happen. But
2: but in, yeah, it. it in a theater of the mind, such, such as the RotoWire college football podcast, we, we can, we can imagine a reality in which this is occurring. And, uh, you know, you see, you seeing that, that number one, Alabama has picked, you know, whoever's 20th and, and the disrespect and chip on the shoulder that, that they try to bring against Alabama and then just get smacked down or or whatever. It would just be awesome. I think that would be, that'd be so fun, but they're, they're, there at least, even if it doesn't go to the Mth degree like we're discussing here, I think, especially if you're a team in need of of an, an improved resume, finding a way to just be like, wait a second, like, we, yeah, we'll we'll take you on. Like, if Cincinnati were were able to play this weekend, they they seem to be the one that that had the COVID issues um, going into this Tulsa game this week. So if for whatever reason it was Tulsa that that had the COVID issue and and Cincy was good to play. It would be cool for them to have an option
1: to do what BYU did a week ago. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You 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 intentionally clear the schedule to make sure that you know you have an opportunity for that. You're not moving things around. I think one it creates you know the the concept of having to pick your own opponent adds a lot of drama to some of these late season games that can you know not maybe have a ton of meaning. You know, if you're if you're number 1 ranked Alabama, do you pick number 20 Iowa? Or do you say like, screw it, we'll play number four Clemson right now. Like we'll play we'll play you guys in a week. Like you guys think you can beat us in the playoff? We'll show you right now. Like I I think you know, ninety percent of coaches would just take the easy opponent and like try to pocket the win. But I don't know. Every now and then, I I think you would it it would just create you know basically unnecessary hype for for some of these games. Uh, And then the other thing is, I think if you're it basically allows you to kind of pad your own resume. You know, if, if you're a team like Notre Dame, where in years past has kind of struggled to amass big wins. You know, you'd maybe beat USC and you'd have another decent win on the schedule, but you think like, we really want to solidify ourselves as a top four team. You know, we're going we're gonna to try to play the best opponent we can right now. And then if you're in a situation like number eight Cincinnati right now, where you're you're 8-0 and there's no, you know, you're looking at the rest of your schedule and it's, you know, Tulsa and, you know, whoever else, I don't know, Louisiana Tech, whoever, you're, you're just not going to have an opportunity to play your way in. Right. This is kind of that ticket. It it kind of it almost it guarantees a team that like Cincinnati, like Coastal, that's undefeated late into the year. It guarantees you at least one shot to to try to knock off a big boy and and change some opinions.
2: Uh, Yeah, I would I would love to see that. And I would love to see a willingness from from like the blue bloods that, that don't really need to consider. Like if they so many power five schools are just in a position now where it's like. As long as we take care of our business, like we we pretty much have the roadmap of how to get into the right. college football playoff. Like,
1: and and, you can't fault them for that.
2: No, absolutely not. I mean, it, it's it's you know a, a nature of the beast. It, it's how things w- were set up, and of course, this was like a second order effect of it. But, um, yeah, the, giving the schools that that everyone discounts or or you know could could point to as as just simply not having enough of a resume to really be a serious candidate. I would love to see them get a get a crack at, at you know, a, a solid to to very good uh, power five team and really get, give us a, a barometer of, of where they re- really are at. Because I do, you know, have some concern about uh, I have concern about the way this, the playoff structure is set up as it is at just four teams where we've seen some very uncompetitive semifinal games. So I don't know, like the the idea of, of having one of those two semifinals be a a total bloodbath where Alabama mops the floor with Cincinnati 70 to nothing like that. That wouldn't be great, but it wouldn't be too far off of what it did to Michigan state or, or Washington in years past, or the Clemson game against Ohio state a few years back in like 2016, like that there have been some really bad semifinal games. So mitigating that, but that's a whole different discussion, I guess, but either way, bottom line, it would be fun to, to have Teams like Cincinnati, BYU, Coastal, or whoever that might be in 2021, have a chance to punch up a little bit.
1: All right, let's look at the DFS slate for week 15. Unfortunately, a few high profile cancellations, Oklahoma off the board, that game against West Virginia has been canceled, Texas, Kansas, obviously Ohio State, Michigan, uh, Purdue, Indiana, Cincy, Tulsa, all those games off the board. But John, we still have a robust 13 game main slate for Saturday. Uh, we're looking at DraftKings as always, and I will let you take it away with the quarterback position.
2: Yes, almost as robust as the Chanticleer statue at, at Coastal. That is a that's a fine looking chicken, very intimidating. Um, yeah, putting
1: the bust in robust, am I right? <laughs> Indeed, yeah.
2: I I, had, I was going off on some some rooster tweets on on uh, Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> what What is yeah. <laughs> that? Yeah, you know, uh just had to had to go for it. Anywho, all right, so quarterbacks for for this week, or first off, uh some games to, to look at that might not be the most obvious ones right off the bat. Um Wake Forest and Louisville, I think that's gonna be a game with some offensive fireworks on both sides of that. Uh Louisville's gonna have some they have had some high profile opt-outs, two two Atwell and Javien Hawkins both opted out to get ready for the draft. And we haven't seen a major price differential in in some of the guys that might see bigger roles um, like like, uh, Mitchell, uh, the running back, or or maybe like a a Des Fitzpatrick at at wide receiver. Um, Both of those guys still checking in pretty reasonable. Um, So keep that in mind for for your Louisville side of that one. Wake Forest has some guys as well. Uh, Maryland Rutgers. Neither of these teams have good defenses. Both of them have at least some pieces on offense. So I expect this one to be. A bit of a track meet. I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, Houston-Memphis w- will, ga- will garner a lot of attention. There, there's some high-profile guys on that. Um, you know, be it Br- Brady White, Marquez Stevenson. If he's available for Houston, that would be a game changer. Um, You got Calvin Austin, who's been incredible for for Memphis, especially in the wake of uh, DeMonte Coxie leaving the program earlier this season. So a lot to like from those games. I'm not touching Army Navy. I'm sorry. You can't make me. I will not do it. Um, But I'll just uh, respectfully watch it instead. Um, As far as the quarterback goes, um, I like Grayson McCall. Uh, Again, Coastal is on this slate. Um, He's the dude there. He's 8,300. He's going up against Troy. I know that there's like a potential for maybe Coastal coming off of such a huge win, having to go on the road to face a, a more abundant Tro- Troy team. Maybe they don't play their, their best game. Maybe they, they give it like a B plus and just kind of survive in advance. Even with that, I, I still think that, that uh, McCall is able to get it done. And I think the guys that you can pair him with are cheap enough roster or salary-wise to where uh, it makes sense. I mentioned Brady White. Um, also want to bring up J T. Daniels. I guess since the last time we talked, my optimism in, in the Georgia Bulldogs has skyrocketed. Um, <laughs> so so I, I'm in on Daniels. Just what a turnaround! It. I know, man. I was just like I was so down in the dumps there for a while. It's like what, what watching Stetson Bennett and and uh, Dwan Mathis j- just like throw the ball at the ground against Florida. I threw my hands up at that point. But JT Daniels has breathed uh, new life into me as as a Georgia guy. And I think that he is going to do really well against Missouri. Missouri kind of prone to, to getting into shootouts. Maybe they can score enough to keep Georgia going to the air. Uh, so with that, I, I do like JT Daniels um, a fair bit as well. So that's kind of my, my
1: read on this quarterback crop. So I know at running back, you're essentially just placing a target on the Florida state Seminoles defense. Hard not to, I mean, they, they've done All it right. to themselves. It, it's insane. how. Yeah, how don't feel uh, bad about
2: it. <laughs> no, no. What, why would you? And, uh, so, uh, Mateo Durant uh, of Duke, um, that this is a Duke team that got completely stomped by a not very good, uh, Miami team a week ago. I know, I know they're top ten, but I mean, don't tell me that they're actually good. Um, Mateo Durant seeing. About as many carries as Deion Jackson, but I think he's been a little bit more effective with his carries. Yeah, he's averaging 6.5 uh, yards per carry. Deion Jackson, more carries, but um, just averaging 4.41, and Durant also has more touchdowns. So, I mean, th- this this feels like quit watch for Florida State, so I do like uh, Durant a fair bit in this one. Uh, the UNC guys, um, they flip-flopped their, their salaries, basically. We've seen Javante Williams either uh, lead the the entire slate among running backs in in a salary salary price, or you know be in the top three. And now he's priced below Michael Carter. and Michael Carter has been having a great year, but I still think Javante Williams is the better play. Um, I think that he'll see more carries. So I'm a little bit surprised at at the pricing there, where, where Michael Carter checks in at 7,300. I don't know how much I'm going at either of these guys going up against Miami's defense, but um, if I am doing it, I, I will be steered to Javante Williams. Maybe that's the, the sucker play just because it's like, OK, he's been better all year and now he's suddenly cheaper. Uh, maybe there, there's something a little bit more to investigate. But, um, you know, just wanted to throw that out there. And then on the cheaper end, um, if you're looking at that Maryland Rutgers game, Isaiah Pacheco is a guy that, that sees a lot of work. Um, he's just down at 4,500. Maryland gives up a lot of yardage on the ground. Rutgers does as well. So if you want to get in on uh, maybe someone like a Jake Funk, um, who's supposed to be coming back, um, he's 6,900. That's fine. Um, but but Pacheco stands out to me as one of those cheap running backs that, that I think will get some – get way more than, than most guys in that price range are going to be seeing. So I like him. And then uh, keep an eye for uh, what Memphis wants to do with their running backs, because they've started a different running back in three consecutive weeks. We don't know what's up with, with uh, Rodriguez Clark right now. Um, limited earlier this week, Asa Martin got a start recently, former uh, Auburn guy that transferred over. And then um, just uh, my sort of Every single time that that he's on the slate and if he's healthy, um, I will consider him. Uh, that's Kendall Milton. So keep an eye for him. He's min price 3K. Um, if he's good to go for Georgia, maybe he sees seven, eight carries. Maybe that's enough. Uh, keep an eye on his injury status. And and if he's not available, um, I, I think that you could um, instead of looking at, at him, maybe look at, at a Kenny McIntosh. Mac, so Georgia's depth running backs also worth a look.
1: At receiver. It's DeVonte Smith and everybody else. He is $2100 more expensive than the next highest priced player. Is there any sense in paying 10k for DeVonte Smith this week?
2: Yeah, it's it's like the the astronaut meme that that was that was popular over the summer like it, it's Devontae Smith and everybody else and then it's like the astronaut standing behind the other ones like always has been. <laughs> and, um but yeah, I mean Smith like I'm just running out of ways to to like fade him. Like you just can't do it. I, I tried to do it on, on Saturday night. I, I figured, Oh, you know, maybe Bama, they build the big lead and they, they stop doing it, but it's like they, they score five touchdowns in a half. It's completely within the range of possibility that Devonte Smith scored four of them. It, it's just, it's insane. I, I could honestly see his price being higher. I think that Arkansas actually has a lot more backbone defensively than, um, than LSU does, but either way, um, it makes your lineup build a lot more challenging, um, especially if you want to pair him with Mac Jones. But I can't argue against it, but um, as far as the the other guys available, a little bit further down the board to consider, um, again, Calvin Austin and Taj Washington. I like the Memphis passing game in this one going up against Houston, Washington. uh, The cheaper option, Calvin Austin is the second highest receiver on the board at 7,900, but both those guys in consideration for me. Um, Again, Des Fitzpatrick of Louisville just 5,800 I think that he snaps up a ton of targets with, with Tutu Atwell being out I do think that you maybe run into a situation where Fitzpatrick is a little bit chalky as a result of that but still I think he'll be worth it um, as far as the Maryland passing game goes Rakeem Jarrett is an absolute stud he's coming on strong he's back uh, he's 5,300 going up against Rutgers so a lot to like there um, Jay Jones think he's going to be good to go. He, he was a late scratch because of COVID when Maryland played Indiana the other week, but I think he'll, he'll be back as well. Um, and then Javon Hiley of coastal Carolina and Isaiah likely the tight end likely just 4,500, but is able or is capable of those splash plays. Uh, I think that he's going to be able to pull off a couple of them against Troy on the Troy side of that game. Kalen Geiger really dominates that passing game as far as the target share is concerned. He's just forty nine hundred. Again, if you think that the Coastal maybe doesn't bring its full force on Saturday, maybe Troy gives him a little bit of trouble. I think Geiger's the guy to do it. And then Jaquari Robinson, Robertson, I'm sorry, and Donovan Green from from, from Wake Forest on the other side of that Louisville Wake game. Also worth considering.
1: All right. I love it. I have to hop on video and talk about prop bets for the NBA preseason. There you Um, go. So, you know, understandable. You have to to run and and start tracking down more college football news as well. But before you head out, give me your bets of the week.
2: Okay, so sprinkle some Friday action here for you. First, Nevada plus three against San Jose State. This is going to be a really fun game to watch on Friday night. Really good offenses. Love Nevada as underdogs in this one. Um, Looking elsewhere, I like Arizona State to cover that big number, 11.5 against Arizona. I just think Arizona is a mess right now. Arizona State, not a mess. So easy call there. Um, Georgia, again, renewed optimism in the dogs. Minus 13.5. I know Missouri's playing well. I know they just came off that big win against Arkansas. But I think Georgia, over the course of 60 minutes, is able to cover this one by two touchdowns. And then this might be my, my soccer play of the week, but I can't understand how USC is only two and a half point favorites against UCLA, and I, I will uh, fire on that until uh, I realize that it was a poor decision. But I don't really see the reason why why UCLA should be expected to keep it this close. I know USC's defense isn't great, but I mean, come on.
1: All right. and my play of the week, Kobe White over his scoring prop for the Bulls preseason game on Friday night. Whew,
2: jack of all trades, man. I love that. <laughs>